What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. I'm joined today by two strong folks, a guy who used to be strong but knows how to make people strong, and then there's me. I exist in the void between that. Not very strong, not very knowledgeable, but I'm a decent podcast host, so here we are today. Mike Taylor, Dr. Mike Taylor. Tom Bot himself. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing well. Tom, I'm going to send you a new podcast shirt. I feel like the green Sorenex shirt has made too many appearances, and we have to get you a new one at this point. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've been asking for podcast shirt. Hey, you know, um, what you referred to yourself, I think the technical term for what you were describing yourself as is himbo. Is that is that proper? Is what now? Himbo. Himbo? Yeah. Please go on. Please, please explain. Just, just, just a beautiful male that's otherwise useless. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a Ken doll, and I'm just like so good to look at, but I'm just smooth down there. Yeah. I just have nothing going on. <laughs> and now that we've got our one penis cool. joke that we have to make before we start the podcast out of the way, we've got Shane Hunt here. Shane, how are you? Good. How's it going? I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah, we are glad to have you on. So Shane just finished up competing at the Hybrid Showdown, where he took his meat fully out and laid it on people. But we'll talk about we'll talk about you know results of that in a little bit. Shane, I want to give you a chance before we get into any of our topics. I just want to give you a chance to introduce yourself. Um, you are newly Instagram famous from what I've seen. So I mean, how does it feel? Like, how do you even have the time to sit down and talk with peons like us? How are you handling that increase in stardom? Well, it's been weird because, I mean, I've been posting on Instagram for, like, six or seven years, my lifts and everything. And then I guess I'm, like, strong. I'm at that threshold of strength where it's, like, actually, you know, like, follow-worthy. So people actually follow me. now. Like, I had 3,000 followers a year ago. Um, and I'm getting, like, 1,000 a week now, so it's crazy. Um, but it, it's interesting. I mean... I don't feel much different, you know, still feel like me. <laughs> Same old Shane Hunt. So what also comes with that stardom on Instagram is very creepy DMs. And a lot of guys, you know, we get buff and strong to attract the ladies, but it doesn't work out that way. It's all just the dudes. So I'm sure you get a lot of those creepy DMs from some unsavory gentlemen. Uh, what would you say your maybe your sports center top 10, your top three, the creepiest ones you've got? Has anyone tried to buy the singlet that you wore at Hybrid Showdown? Please don't I watch it. One of those. <laughs> I haven't gotten any like dirty socks or underwear or singlet, <laughs> singlet things, um, but I've gotten a bunch of like, I mean, who knows if they're real or not, but I've gotten a bunch of like, um, what, what is, what's even the, I guess like invitations to like do porn. But who knows if they're real or not? They'd be like, we'll, we'll fly you out to L.A., you know, $1,500, um, all this. But, like, you know, I've gotten a few, quite a few of those. I think they're, like, repeats of, like, you know, like, different accounts that just make make a new new user and just, like, send the same, like, spam. But, I mean, it's it, like you said, it's all, like, you don't get any female attention. Like, maybe one girl who lifts is, like, thinks it's impressive. But that's it. Like, it doesn't exist, you know? It's like all dudes. That's, that's very true. <laughs> so 
outside of the creepy DMs, outside of being newly famous, give us a little introduction to yourself, how you got into lifting, where you started, how you, when you got so passionate about it, when you're, you know, when your lifts really started taking off. Just give us the full rundown of where you started and then kind of how you got to the point where you're at today. Um, well, I guess I started lifting when I was like 12 or 13. I was a really skinny kid. I'd always been like pretty athletic. I swam, I did gymnastics, um, just generally active. Um, but I started lifting when I was probably like 12 and then it was just, you know, just like bullshit stuff, just like curls and a bunch of like chest and just trying to get jacked upper body. And then eventually, um, I guess I, w- I was on bodybuilding.com and they were talking about powerlifting and then I was like, that sounds fun. And then I signed up for a meet and then, um, Mike, uh, I think you knew Chris Myers. He was doing a meet like two hours away. I did that meet, met Josh. Josh got me to the muscle lab, and then I was lifting, like, away from those, like, fake – I was lifting at a gym with, like, all these, like, underweight plates. Um, so I thought I was way stronger than I was, and then Josh took me over to the muscle lab with, like, real, like, 45-pound plates. I'm like, why am I so weak? And then um, I started lifting with Josh when I was, like, probably, like, 16 or 17, and then um, – I mean, Mike was there, too, at the Muscle Lab, at Gold's, and then eventually opening CCB. And I've been lifting at CCB since 2015, since Josh opened that uh, powerlifting gym over here. Yeah, so just like a little bit of like, <clears throat> just to expound upon that, um, Josh was like a grown man. I was a college student at the time, and we have this like uh, like high school dude lifting with us. He's as strong as all of us. So, um, so it's definitely been like a cool sort of unique story. But, I mean, it's come a long way. It's nuts. And this is all happening in, uh, in Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida at FSU. So. <laughs> So full, full disclosure, in the coaches chat the other day, Mike sent a picture of Shane and he said, this is how this is how I remember Shane. Mike, what was what was the picture? The picture was a screenshot from this video of him, like trying to re-rack 585. Um, <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> Shane was not um, you're not like chiseled out of granite at the time. I'll, I'll put it that way. Right. Like you, you were big, but, um, but you were big. And, uh, and you just had this funny look on your face, dude. It was, it was just so funny. So, um, so yeah, I was like, that's, that's the shame that I remember. Michelin man. Yeah. <laughs> so just because I'm curious, not a question that I had written down, but just cause just out of curiosity, um, what big nutritional changes, because anyone who's kind of seen your Instagram, you, you lift like a power lifter, but you look, you have the physique of a bodybuilder with, with where you stand today. What what big nutrition changes um, did you make to go from the self-proclaimed Michelin man, like you just said, to kind of where you stand today? Um, So I guess I was like, I was all the way up to like 260 pounds when I was like 15 years old and I was in high school. Um, And I basically like doubled my weight intentionally. From like 14 to 15, I went from like 130 to 260 in like a year. So I got really fat. I got really strong, but I got really fat. Um, and I just kind of stayed there. And I just noticed that being that heavy, I just felt I felt terrible. I'd get injured more easily. Um, so when I was probably 17, I hurt my back pretty bad. And I'd never got it diagnosed. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, you know, powerlifting isn't the way. You know, it's you know, lifting these heavy weights. It's not the way. It's not good for humans. I was like, I'm going to go do track. I'm going to go be, I'm going to go do, uh, I'm going to be a shot putter. I'm going to be a track and track and field athlete. I was going to try to go to FSU or wherever I could throw and go to school. And that's what I was going to do. I still lifted weights, but I wasn't like, I was convinced that like deadlifting and squatting heavy, like they just couldn't be done. Like, you know, you're going to break your body down. So I did that. Ended up hurting myself doing track. Didn't end up getting any like scholarship or anything. And so then after high school, I like kind of got back into powerlifting. So I was almost like as strong as I was when I was like 18 or 19 when I was like 16. Like Mike was saying, I was like, I was pretty strong. When I was like 15, 16, but I basically made no progress because I was doing other things and I came back to it. And I obviously still had like a lot of um, just like uh, training history. So I gained back all the strength I had very quickly and I was able to like start progressing. Um, but just doing track and everything, I probably graduated high school back around like 210. And I was a lot leaner. And then it's been it's been a pretty steady it's been some ebb and flow where it's like you know, I'll, I'll gain some weight and I'll lose some weight, but it's been a pretty steady since then, like gaining weight very slowly. Um I think any amount of like quick change rapid changes are are not 
not good, not sustainable. So I don't really eat anything like special. I mean, I kind of eat like trash. Honestly, he asked my <laughs> diet. Um, I eat kind of, kind of terribly. I think it's just like managing calories and, you know, um, not overeating too much, but I definitely don't eat very clean. I'll eat basically whatever I want, you know. Everyone watching hates you. Everyone hates you now, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it took a long time. Like, it's like, I feel like the more muscle mass and everything you cultivate, the more freedom like that you have. You know, you just like, you just burn through calories more and you just, you know, you're just a bigger person. And I can hold fat more. So if I have, if I'm like 15% body fat and I'm like 6'1 and 265, I can hold that fat a lot better than someone who's, you know, shorter and, and not as much muscle mass. The Joe Sullivans of the world. Literally, literally, exactly. literally anybody who is not six one and two sixty five. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's ninety nine percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's like your ten percent body fat. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like at least fourteen, probably fifteen, sixteen. You know, potentially. So I'm actually curious. One more before we get uh, into some of the more serious questions. When did you stop doing? When did you get into gymnastics? And then when did you stop? Did you ever do like organized gymnastics, or were you like a recreational gymnast when you were a kid? Uh, yeah, it was more recreational. I think my my mom just wanted me to kind of like have something to go like sort of do. She could just go like put me somewhere for two hours, you know, like not da- not like babysit daycare, but just like something active that I could go do and she could go like do errands and stuff, you know, once a week. So I think I competed once or twice, but it was super low level. I wasn't like ranked or anything. I didn't, I know there's like those like rankings and it's reversed for women. I don't really know much about that. Um, any of the gymnastic stuff I can, I can do now is pretty much like self-taught though, like the backflips and stuff. Like I could never do that when I was eight years old. Uh, I like had to like kind of teach myself that later on, you know? So I think I did gymnastics. I started when I was like six or seven and I was done by the time I was eight or nine. I didn't do it for very long. So over the past year, you've gotten, you know, significantly stronger evidence by your lifts. Are the gymnastic skills that you can do now, are they getting easier? Are you able to progress into more advanced gymnastic skills as you get a little stronger? Are we going to see some new fucking tricks is what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, definitely not. Definitely everything's way harder um, the heavier you get. But I think it would be cool to like go, go like hang out with Juji and have him like teach me some of that like crazy like kicks and twists and all that stuff. You know, I could probably do some of that. I can jump pretty high so that I could, I could do some of that. But no, definitely like the handstands, like your wrists hurt. I did a backflip last week and I was like lightheaded for like 10 minutes. I was like seeing stars. <laughs> so it's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> Tom, Tom, I think you cut, I cut you off. Did you have a question there? Oh, I was going to ask about chocolate milk. It's not a big deal. <laughs> chocolate Fair milk life. thoughts. <laughs> I love Fairlife. <laughs> oh, we got a Fairlife. So we had we had Ashton Ruska on the podcast, and mm-hmm. he's a big Promised Land guy. So we've got Battle of the Chocolate Milk going on right now. Is he really? He is. He likes he the is. So so he likes the Promised Land chocolate, and then Tom, who is possibly a serial killer, likes the <laughs> peach flavored can you just go ahead and tell tom that that's an unacceptable choice of milk peach milk i've never tasted it nor would i probably ever but <laughs> why does Austin like the lactose more than the non-lactose i think it's the fat i think it's the fat content but Fairlife has a decent bit of fat especially like the whole milk one nothing like promised land though <laughs> no have you ever had the chick-fil-a peach milkshake Dude, it's just the peach, the peach milk with you, man. It yeah. never stops. Peach milk is just like a melted Chick Fil A peach milkshake. That's why it's good. Ugh. Same macros and everything. It's just, you know, just everyone, just everyone, go ahead and comment below and just be like, Tom, no peach milk. We want to see no, no more peach milk. Hashtag no peach milk. Yeah, I don't know about the peach milk. <laughs> All right, let's get into some actual serious questions. Let's talk program design. Let's talk training. So, like we met, like I mentioned, over the last twelve months, you've seen a large, large upswing, uptick in your strength capacity. Um, and, and I'm curious, just in your opinion, what you kind of chalk that up to? Is it a matter of you know working with a new coach, trial and error, finding what works for you? Um, maybe there was some stuff that you worked with previous coaches that you think maybe laid the foundation for where you are right now. Just curious to hear your input on what you think was the biggest contributing factor or factors to your increase in strength as of, as of recently or increase in performance, I should say. I don't think it's anything. Um, I don't think it's anything too, um, 
like compelling or anything. I think the main thing is I just get, I was actually able to hold more body weight. I was able to hold like, you know, 15, 20 more pounds of body weight. And then I could train so much harder due to that factor and some other factors too. But mainly that factor, I'd say just the, like just the tolerability to training was just so much higher. And I feel like I had a lot of like strength even before that I just had never actually demonstrated. So, um, like if you look at like all my best lifts, I basically added about a hundred pounds to like all my best lifts over the last year. But I think that it's a little bit, it's a little bit misleading because I think I was stronger than I was able to just like review, like sh- demonstrate, um, even before. So training hasn't really changed much at all. I still train like pretty high, pretty high frequency per movement, at least like two to three times a week, um, for squat and bench, one to two for deadlift. And usually all at pretty high volumes. Um, so training hasn't really changed all that much, I wouldn't say. Dawson does have me do a lot more, um, like accessories and things that I would probably never think to do, like the, um, like the Nordic curls and like the sissy squats and just things that I wouldn't probably ever even mess with. Um, but I don't think that's made like a massive impact either. I think it's more so just having more, more muscle mass, more body weight just to work with at my height. I feel like I need to have like, this much mass to be a good power lifter. Like I feel like at six, one and two thirty, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a power lifter. I'm just like a, I'm too skinny. I'm too lanky, you know? So I feel like now actually filling out that frame, I can actually be a power lifter basically. Something that grabbed me there was you talked about going a little bit, a little bit higher in your volumes. What, what do you classify as high volume? What is that? What is a high volume? Let's say squat day look like for you. Without giving away the secrets, of course. I guess it would need to be like a, th- a threshold. It would need like it would require a threshold of intensity. So, I mean, I'd say anything that's like eighty percent for more than fifteen total reps is like a pretty pretty decent volume day. You know, especially like I feel like the the more absolutely strong you get, that like those percentages become harder and harder. Um, toward the top end there. So I'd say anything like 80% and 15 reps or more, not that I wouldn't do more than that, but I'd say that would be like kind of the threshold where it's, it's definitely like a decent volume day. You know, it's at least a moderate, moderate volume day. I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna break some people's brains there. You even got Thomas raising his eyebrows about that volume right there, because most people would consider that, uh, from from my interpretation of what I see online, that would be considered actually very low volume. Whereas the higher volume approaches is like what you see. I mean, not to dunk on Juggernaut, but like the Juggernaut AI system that's like cranking out these like ten by six at 80% days like that right there is it's like suicidal, but that's what I would consider high volume. I guess I meant on squat and deadlift. I was yeah, yeah. Squat. on bench. I can handle way more, way more yeah. than that. But I guess squat and deadlift, I don't feel like I need much more than that. And it's, it's just, it's almost like counterproductive to the next session. You know, it's yeah. like, why, why do much more than that? That's a good point right there. It's it's about what you need. Like, what does Shane need to progress? Like, why would you go any higher than what you've demonstrated as the need for you to progress? It's it's just extra work for no actual no actual reason, man. Right, right. Plus, it sounds like you do a lot of uh, a lot of accessories and stuff too. So that that obviously counts. Yeah, that's a ton of volume, I guess. Just like. as, as well, contributing to that total volume. It's not very heavy, but it's still, it still is a lot of like work, you know, still being done. So what are the favorite accessories for you? You met Nordic curl as a little uh, accessory. Uh, you wouldn't call it your favorite. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really call it my favorite. Just like the, I don't know, the tried and true, just basic bodybuilding, leg extension, leg curl, seated and standing calf raise, um, those tibia raises, all, all that stuff that just, I don't know, just massive blood flow to the lower extremities. It's fun. It's it's funny you mentioned calf raises because I know when Mike deployed last year, he had a he he moved from you know working out in his garage to working out in a you know a fully outfitted uh, base gym, and uh, I had him doing a ton of calf raises, and uh, it, it was like an epiphany, like hey, these are muscles on my body too, and they actually do something <laughs> 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 help. <laughs> 
Tom, where are my calf raises? I haven't had calf raises. <laughs> Have you just given up hope on my calves? You looked at them and you were like, nope, those are clear non-responders. You do hundreds of them every week with a jump rope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is very true. My shins, my shins, thank you. Um, so let's take it. So now we've talked about kind of like what works best for you or what you think works best for you. And we've all been there before. We've all tried stuff in the past. We've all we've all small loved ourselves until we had tendonitis and bursitis out the booty. What did you try in the past that really just did not work for you? Like just absolutely either caused injury, caused regression in performance, something that just didn't really work. Well, this was, uh, I'm going to steal your small love story. So it was a long time ago. Why does everyone have a small love story? (laughs) Everyone's just like, worst thing, small love. (laughs) Everyone, I think it's like the Shaco and the small love. Everyone's like, oh, cool, Russian name. Sounds good. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, But no, I think I was probably, it was probably like when I first started training, I just found it on bodybuilding.com. It was supposed to be hard. I didn't even run the whole, the whole cycle of 13 week. I just ran like the base mezzo. Um, but like during that three weeks, I think it's three weeks, right? You squat four times a week. Um, like I just progressively, I ran it way too heavy. I just progressively started squatting higher and higher. I don't think I ever actually missed any reps, but it was like my 10 by three would take like three hours. And like every set was like a PR triple and I would somehow do it. I don't even know how I made it through, but I was just like squatting higher and higher and like worse and worse and felt terrible. Um, and then I remember I ran, Around that time, I ran like Mad Cows as well. I ran the Cone Felipe um, deadlift uh, deadlift peaking program. I think I messed with five three one a little bit. It just wasn't it wasn't like aggressive enough. So I I probably ditched that really quickly. It just wasn't wasn't aggressive enough for me. But beyond that, I I I pretty much stopped doing like cookie cutter or like programs like that a long time ago. Um, and then I would kind of do my own thing or I'd have a coach um, the last few years. Yeah, Tom, why is that just a sad reality that when we attack these these very high intensity, high frequency programs that we get such good results on the front end and then we are crushed by overwhelming failures on the back end? Is it an running an injury thing? Is it just a, a, a cumulative fatigue thing? I think I think you just you run to the end of your rope faster. So, you know, you you've got a capacity in any given time for like, you know, an amount of adaptation. And, uh, and you know, you, you, you can do it in 12 weeks or you can do it in six. And if you do it in six, the next six are going to be absolute trash, you know, just just to give like a really uh, crude example. But, yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think you just you know, you kind of, you run out of your rope, you overcook the meat, you know? Definitely. I think also like just straight up like mental staleness comes into play. That's, that's always bothered me. It's like, I don't necessarily get like hurt when I've had like these, uh, when I, like when I did small off base, I like, I gained like 30 pounds on my squat. Right. And it was like great. But then I was just like, so, um, averse to the idea of squatting that I was like definitely less consistent. Uh, like didn't actually like approach any of the training sessions for probably the next like month or so with like any intensity at all. I was just kind of like, yeah, I am failing a lot of reps too, because you know, my, my new max was not actually my new max. It just peaked. Um, and wasn't <laughs> sustaining it at all. So it was just like missing. And then, yeah, just, just not, not a good recipe for like long-term success. It's kind of got to find that sweet spot, I think. So yeah, thanks factor to it. I always, always talk about the ceiling and the floor. And programs like that are definitely ceiling sort of programs. So there's there's always regression back to the mean. And if you if you try to run at the end of your rope with it and you say, Oh, I put thirty pounds on my squat, and then you're gonna use that that new plus thirty PR to base your next run to the end of your rope with, you know, it's just it, you don't get very far with it. Um, you know, because you're you're training too far at the margin of, of your capabilities and and then a ten by three squat day is absolutely brutal. Like like I I haven't touched anything like that in years. I think maybe like 2012 I did Smolov, and uh, and I just remember hating life. Like hated the gym. You know you're you're there for two hours and you've done ten sets and you feel like totally exhausted and yet like you haven't done anything. Just just soul grinding. 
I think the 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 hard part when you set that new high max, that peak max, and then you try to work off of it is the programs that are super focused around percentages where, you know, you hit this crazy high max and then all of your work moving forward is percentage based off of this number that was like six scoops of pre-workout, the ultimate, the best day of your life. And then everything moving forward is based off that. So, Shane, I'm interested to hear your new training style is very RPE, auto-regulated approach, um, relative intensity, or do you still pepper in some absolute intensities as well? Um, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do right now. I'd say mostly RPE, though, like to just to regulate load. Um, I think the percentages, they just like just getting too static with it, you know, um, and I, I used to do that too, where I would like, I'd run a program and I'd be like, at the end of the program, I'm supposed to hit, you know, this number. And then it's like, you think you can just hit that every single day just because you did it at the end of the program, but it's not, it's not a sustainable strength. You know, it's not like your base level strength. It's your, it's your peak strength, you know? But yeah, I'd say more so like RPE based. I prefer that myself a lot over like just raw percentages. Yeah, it's, it's like funny, like thinking back to even using like a program where I would like say finish small up and then run another program after I would base my uh, my my maxes off of like that small up max. I can't even conceptualize doing that anymore. One, because it's just like not what I use. I definitely use more of like an auto regulated program or Tom does with my training and then I do with clients and stuff like that. But also I just have such wider like maybe percentages was fine when I was in college and like, you know, I was like. There was never really like any like truly hard or really easy days. Everything was pretty even keeled. But oh man, I have to study shit. Like that's that's so hard <laughs> or something. Um, but like I have such like wild like variants in like my recovery these days and stuff like that. Like some days I'll be good. Some days I like won't really sleep for a couple of days and I'll be really busy and stressed. And and so I, I can't even imagine the idea of like trying to project out like what I would be doing based off of something I did with this program that, that everybody did. If you lifted weights in the year 2012, like you did small off base, <laughs> you know, and you, you reported it. I think it was 2014, 2015. I ran the infamous Lane Norton PH three program. Any other victims of Same. PH three yep. here was, yep. you ran that. So yeah. I tried to run it twice back to back. So I survived the first 13 weeks, and I think I added, you know, something nutty like 135 pounds on my total or something like that in that 13 weeks. And then I just was like, all right, well, I got some new maxes. Time to run it back. Let's not mess with these percentages at all. I think I was injured within like the first three weeks of it, just from exactly what what, what we're talking about. Um, and uh, oh man, that was a that was a tough one. Shane, you ever you ever mess around with with a little PH3? I remember looking into it. I didn't know it was called PHT. I thought it was just called PHAT or fat. Like it was just fat. Those, yeah. So those are different programs. So the fat uh, program was was different. That wasn't yeah. so bad. That was okay, I think. I remember that. Shane, Shane, we would have been boys back in the day. It sounds like you were about that power building lifestyle. Were you about the power building lifestyle? Always. Oh, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's actually get into some, uh, some hybrid showdown talk here. Um, um, some meat. So just a super zoomed out question to start, and then we'll kind of just magnify in and go a little further. Um, overall, how was your experience at the meat? Um, how would you grade your performance? Any redos that you wish you could have? Um, or was it pretty much what you envisioned going in? Um, I think it was a really well-run meet. Um, you guys were both there? Brian? So I was there with Paul. So Paul was coaching okay. Joey and Jamal there. Joey, oh Joey, uh, Joey, Joey, Joey Porcelli. Yeah, that's the that's the Joey donut Por guy. The donut guy is Joey the donut guy. Joey bags a donut. That's not him. Joey um, bags a donut. Nah, it's Joe. Joey Porcelli. I think is his last name. He was a uh, two twenty. But somebody was handling Jamal. Um, no, Paul. Paul was there. Uh, Paul, the Paul and Cam do his nutrition and his supplementation. Okay. 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 Um, yeah, I think it was. And then really, Jamal was handling himself. Yeah, I was going to say, Jamal's just kind of sitting there on his phone, just chilling. Like, anytime, yeah. like, the intercom was saying, like, you know, would say his name, he'd, like, pull his headphone out and be like, how many out am I? And then just right back to it, just chilling, just so nonchalant. It's, 
uncanny. So you weren't you weren't <laughs> back there talking shit to him like, hey Jamal, you about to see this? You ready for this shit? I was like, look 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 at your little thumbs. Why don't your thumbs? No, I wasn't not like that. <laughs> um, but no, I think uh, I think I performed really well. I think if I hadn't had that little tweak in the back, you might have seen a little bit more on the squat and deadlift. You know, another ten kilos on each. But I think really. Like all things considered with that like tweak I had, I still came in and did like exactly what I planned to do before. So with an extra like three weeks of training and like not having that even in my mind that my back's like injured, maybe I would have been, like I said, like a little bit stronger. But I think I made really good calls and I've never actually before Saturday or Sunday gone nine for nine. So I was really happy to actually do that and no misses on the day. Um, so I think I basically couldn't have made better calls on like attempt selection. I was happy with the thirds. They all moved fairly well. Um, the bench was probably the hardest of like the three, like on my third attempts, I probably had zero, zero kilos left on the bench. Um, but I'd say probably about 10 on each squat and deadlift, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with that to have some room going into the next meet. Um, just more, more improvement to be had. Yeah, man. Mike I, and I, I both totally were looking at the video. Oops. Sorry, of, go ahead, of that of that third of that third deadlift that you had, it looked like you got a little bit out of position on that third deadlift, and then you kind of corrected it midway. Did uh, that was Mike's video analysis there? Did I, I stole his thunder? But that sound about right. I did, yeah. Like my, you can see it. Like my hips, they shoot up or back just a tiny bit. Kind of lost some tension, and then, and I was like, it's the third pull. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let it get away. So I just did it. <laughs> but yeah, I did feel that where it's like. You're trying to like connect yourself to the bar and pull the slack and then initiate the pull without losing that slack. That's my biggest thing is, and I went and lifted with Jamal in October and he was trying to teach me how to pull slack because he was saying, what I'll do is I'll pull, I do pull slack, but then as soon as I go to initiate the pull, I give the slack back and then I basically have to I'm pull with no slack. So that's been the biggest thing I've been trying to do is to maintain the slack I pull when I actually dead, like initiate, you know, like the hips and the movement. So I think that was an example of where I didn't do that very well. But on my first two attempts, I didn't really have that pretty much the hips, they get anchored, they sit right there and then the bar and the hips are moving, you know, pretty much in unison. That's crazy though, that you were able to like recapture the tension. You know, a lot of times if you're, if you kind of go too far back with the hips, you know, off the floor with the sumo deadlift, which, you know, we're, we're kind of operating under the assumption that a lot of people understand that with the sumo deadlift, it's kind of like one or lost, from the floor like uh you know if, if your lockout sucks it's probably not because your lockout's bad it's probably because you're out of position so the fact that you were able to i mean like so it's like you know a max attempt or a near max attempt like stuff's gonna break down and, and all that but it's like crazy to me you're able to like save the lift and then you know once you did that you know i don't want to say it was easy i'm sure it was quite difficult but it moved well so it was just nuts that you were able to like recapture that tension i don't feel like i I, I, I couldn't do that. That's for sure. So I was like, damn, that's impressive. But, uh, well, I, but go ahead. I think that if I, if that hadn't happened, like if I had executed the same way I did the second attempt where it was pretty clean, I think I probably would have taken the fourth attempt. But right after, um, the, the third, I was like, no, like it, it didn't really feel good at all on video. It <laughs> looks way better than it, than it felt. Um, so I say I had 10 kilos more, but that's based off watching the video retroactively, you know, three or four days later, if you asked me right after I did it, I would say, no, that was it. There was nothing, no more, you know? So who knows really? Totally forgot about that. You could take a fourth if you like made your third with that. That would have been, that would have been nutty, but yeah, I think you probably did the right thing. Save it yeah. for the next one. Yeah. If I, if I'd gotten nine for 10, I would have just felt so stupid. I was like, I had <laughs> nine for nine. I, I did it. I was in there and then I got cocky and like missed nine twenty or something. That'd be stupid. Oh my God. But yeah, I nice. was, I was thinking like I had the opportunity to basically have the biggest deadlift at the meet. I only had to pull, you know, a kilo or I mean, uh, 2.5 kilo more than Jamal. So like nine, 10 would have gotten me the like, biggest pull. So I, then I was kind of like, Oh, I should have done that. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. Oh man. So dude, one, one question that I, that I had, and we talked a little bit about this offline, but you know, your back injury, a lot of times, I feel like um, <clears throat> I feel like when you hear about people getting hurt before meet one, you hear about it. Um, 
I had no idea. No one, no one really did. Um, and then two, I almost feel like people have a knack to like, kind of almost like hedge. They're like, you know, okay, well, crap, meat preps ruins. You know, I, I tweaked my back three weeks out. You know, that, that's too bad. Um, you know, and from our, from our conversations, it, it sounded like you, you know, while maybe at times, you know, certainly, you know, were like anxious about it, but, you know, it seems like you stayed very like calm and reserved. So I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, one, like what happened and then two, sort of how you approached it, you know, were you just like really like kind of trust your training and trust your coach to make sure that you stayed, you know, ready and just kind of let it ride? Like, how, how'd you approach it? Mm. Well, I'd say that, um, like initially when it first happened, I was like very averse. Like you said, you hadn't heard about it. I was very averse to like telling anybody, even people like at the gym. And that, and then like a week after it happened, like I probably had like, you know, sort of just mentioned it. Oh, my back's sore or whatever. Just a few people. And then it's like everyone in the gym is like, Shane, what happened to your back? Blah, blah, blah. Cause like that's exactly what I was trying to like avoid is this like big thing. And everyone like constantly asking me, why are you broken? Are you still going to do the meat? What are, are you going to change your attempts? And so my, my thought process was like, there's basically nothing I can do, um, like about my back. It already happened, right? I'm already signed up for the meet and I'm going to do it. So like, if I just, if I just don't train, I'm probably not going to get any weaker. Everything's just going to feel like shit on meet day. Like I unracked like three reds on meet day, like warming up on squat, 375 and it felt so heavy i was like how how is how am i going to squat 700 pounds today but um that was the biggest thing i was worried about is just like nervous system like um you probably have better words than me for this but just like the load the um being used to being loaded like that and then just having that like complete lack of loading for um, almost a month Everything just it's, you're more sensitive to, to to the load, I guess. Your load sensitivity increases. Um, so that was the biggest thing I was worried about is just like the grip on the deadlift, how the bar would feel on my back. I trained bench all the way through, um, but yeah, I really don't know what it was. I never went and got got it looked at or anything. I don't really know what. Yeah, probably, probably doesn't matter, honestly. You know, and and Tom and I talked about this a little bit too because I, I told him a little bit about about this, and uh, you know, I think a lot of times people get it like confused when like peaking for a meet that it's like this like thing has to happen in like perfect sequence. And, you know, maybe in like a perfect world, that's true. You know, you want to have, you know, a gradual reduction in fatigue so that you can display fitness, yada, yada, yada. But you don't want to like lose that fitness from like detraining. And I think a lot of times people sort of get this idea where it's like baking a cake and like you like forget to put, I don't really know what goes in a cake, like eggs, I imagine probably go in. The There's cake. some eggs in there. Okay. So, um, so if you forget, <laughs> if you forget to like do that, it's like, oh, well, crap, the cake's ruined. But, you know, I don't think that, uh, that like strength and peaking necessarily like works that way, especially when, you know, we're trying to display it at this like really, really, uh, you know, kinetic event where there's like, you know, a powerlifting meet, tons of moving things, you know, like unusual environment, you know, people you don't know, all these different moving parts. <laughs> It's like there, there's already going to be so much randomness anyway that I think a lot of times people are maybe a little bit too sensitive to changes in their like ideal peak that they forget that they already trained hard for like, you know, ideally probably months at that point, you know, volume blocks on volume blocks on volume blocks. Like you already got strong, you know, it's, it's about going out and then displaying it. And, you know, maybe it wasn't perfect. Maybe you would have been stronger, but who knows? Like maybe if you would train your, your squat and your deadlift more, maybe you would have uh, been weaker. I don't, I don't know. There, there's no way of telling, um, but it's not like baking a cake. And I just think that's like, you know, it should be like a freeing thing, maybe kind of de-stress. So, you know, hopefully people can kind of take that from, uh, from your experience. Cause you know, obviously you made the best of it. Yeah. I think like you said, you should have that confidence that like you got yourself to your current strength level. You know, you've been training, like you said for months to get there. So, and for me, especially like I'd already done, basically everything I wanted to do in the meet I'd already done in the gym. So I had a big like confidence with that too, where it's like, I just have to recreate what I've already done. It's nothing new. I'm not doing something I've never done before. Um, it would be different, obviously doing it with like in that environment with those people and doing everything on the same day. But I squatted seven or five, I think like six weeks ago and did, uh, the four, my first 400 kilo in the gym on the same day. So I was already confident that like those two things I could do on the same day. It would just be a matter of like, again, like the, 
not feeling so crushingly heavy on the squat and then like the thumbs, the hook grip actually working. That was really the only thing I was worried about, um, going into it. And then I was, I was worried about like my back flaring up, but I was pretty confident that even if it did on that one day, it wasn't going to like cripple me and I'd be able to probably push through it and be fine anyway, even if it, but it didn't flare up like surprisingly didn't flare up at all. And we ended up leaving Miami probably around seven and we got home at two in the morning. So I drove like seven hours and it was fine. I worked out the next day. So it felt better after the meet than I did the day before the meet. Like it was like doing the meet, like made it feel better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Probably felt good just to have the, uh, the weight of, you know, just, you know, preparing for it and stuff like that. Just kind of off your shoulders too, I imagine. But yeah. And, and then, you know, just as a little like aside from like the, you know, like, um, like orthopedic standpoint stuff, like it probably wasn't anything like super concerning, you know, back pain happens. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be like, Oh, well, Shane's career's it's toast, whatever. He had, he had a back injury. Like it, it, it happens. Um, and you know, you overcame it and you know, I think, I think it should be all smooth going forward, man. It's awesome. What do you, what do you think that is? Cause I've had that, I had that leading to 2019 Nats where it's like, I mean, I know pain, like in pain science is really hard to, and there's, there's so much nuance to it and subtlety, but like it would be on like the side of my neck and it felt the same way with my back did where it's just like, I mean, it's like locked up. You like basically can't move it. Uh, and like, I would describe it as like a nerve, like nerve pain, but like, I obviously I have no idea what, what it is, but it just feels like when the vertebrae like move, they just like, there's some restriction and just like, I mean, I'm, I sound stupid right now trying to describe pain, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like you can't move like freely without that, like twinge or that like restriction of movement. Yes. What do you I do? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Wait, time out, Mike. Yeah. Time out real quick, Mike. Yes. Do you want me to send him an invoice real quick? Is this a PT session? Do you want me to? Do you want to get, do you oh, want to get yeah. paid by this guy? <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. So before we, can go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, for real though. Like, and this isn't exactly like a popular um answer because we we like to say like we we could never like tell like what the pain is, and I can't. You know, you're like telling me about it, like. I, I couldn't necessarily tell you, but we do have ways of kind of like categorizing, um, these like conditions as they, you know, walk in our door, you know, we're talking about, you know, working in like a outpatient physical therapy clinic. And generally what I would classify that into would be something where they're called the facet joints or the joints alongside both sides of the spine. And that's where we have that kind of like unilateral presentation where you might have limitations in like one movement specifically. So like, say like side bending or extending a lot of the times can be pretty painful and it can feel like horrifically painful. A lot of times people call it like nerve pain because they like, it's like, we can't reconcile anything else possibly causing this, like, you know, eight or nine out of 10 pain. And you can, um, you know, irritate the nerve roots that kind of exit right around there. It's certainly a possibility, but you know, a lot of times symptoms that are going to be relevant to that, um, you know, we'd be kind of more distal, like in like the extremity. So in like the arm or leg numbness, tingling, that kind of stuff for it to be, like specifically concerning from a, uh, like prognosis standpoint. So, um, dumbed down, I would say, yeah, like irritation to the joints on one side or the other, the spine hurts real bad when you move in one direction or the other, um, movement loading within tolerance is good. Um, another unpopular answer, but like manual therapy is like awesome on these. I'm, I'm going to crack that shit like all the time if somebody walks in with that. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's that's probably what it was. Um, sometimes doing the uh, like going to get like manipulated or adjusted could be like helpful. Um, sometimes it's not necessary, as was the case with you. You know, um, for, for everybody listening, Shane didn't like go and get seen for it or anything like that. He wasn't getting his back like walked on or anything crazy like that before the meet. He was just uh, kind of doing him, and that's like a perfectly acceptable way of uh, of working through these things. So. So you said you are a fan of manual therapy, like chiropractic? Yeah. So, I mean, so I'm, I'm not a chiropractor, but we do some similar stuff like uh, osteopathic type um, manipulations. And in those cases where it's like a really, really acute thing, so that's one thing, acute being like a new pain, new uh, onset, a lot of times like unilateral and then not having symptoms going down either leg. And then also to the patient not being like really nervous or like uh, fearful of like the manipulation or, you know, their own prognosis. Um, those are generally going to be signs that are going to be um, consistent with like a fair prognosis to doing a, uh, a manipulation or something like that. Do I do that with every back pain patient that walks in my door? Absolutely not. Because um, 
it doesn't like fix you. It might just kind of uh, modify the symptoms enough that you're able to then go and do something about it. That's, that's where it's really, really tough is like if the pain is so like severe that you're like unable to even move around, that's kind of what you got to do to get the pain to get better. So it's like something's got to give ultimately. So that's where I do think it's really valuable. Um, and you know, for me as a therapist, it can be really like, I don't want to say fun, but like, uh, fulfilling when somebody walks in really, really like hurting and then walks out a whole lot less hurting, a whole lot more hopeful about things and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so I, I'm definitely am a big fan of it, but it's all going to be in the right context. Right. Okay. Okay. So like I'll, I was doing a lot of that, um, I guess sort of to myself when it first happened, you know, I'd like push mm-hmm. on my back and like extend and then I'd like push, um, on like my hips push each way. And at first when I did, it'd be really painful with like same thing. It would like have that like bug and like nerve, um, pain. And then like over time it didn't. And then I could actually like, I could like pop my back again, like, yeah. like, uh, laterally, I guess I like push my hips laterally mm-hmm. and I could actually like, you know, like adjust myself or whatever. But that, yeah. that became like not painful. And I, I obviously that's not like treatment, but I did feel like that progressively did almost like every day get a little bit better where yeah. like the first day, like if I took my knuckles and like pushed into my spinal erector, it'd be like horrendously painful. Now it's like nothing at all. And yeah. I can push on a real hard and like twist and no pain. Be pretty sensitive. You know, I couldn't really do it, especially like right in the morning. It'd be the yeah. worst. And like, as I moved throughout the day, it would get better. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the sedentariness at night would kind of, like, lock up again or whatever you want to call it. And then yeah. I just, like, repeat that every day. But it did progressively almost every single day get a little bit better. And then I would try to keep what you – I mean, I've read some of your posts, and I know you're working with um, with Jake, too. So I would try to kind of kind of keep some of that in my, in my mind where, like, pain isn't linear. So if you have a day where it is, like, worse than it was yesterday, it's, it's kind of like you, you got to take it. You know, it's, it is what it is. It doesn't really matter. It's not that telling. It's not indicative of anything, really. You know, right. maybe it is, but you know, yeah, it, all, it all depends, right? Um, I mean, it sounds like a sounds like a treatment that I would give to somebody. I mean, maybe not that specific exercise, but you found a movement that was limited, did what you could into that limitation every single day, and then eventually it got better. So you know, a mix of time and then also you know consistently easing into that end range. I mean. Yeah, man, that'll be $50. So if you want my like Venmo or something, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. No, I mean, I think it's always cool when people kind of find their own um, solutions to things like that, because it kind of uh, already sort of puts the control in your hand, which is what I want all the time with people anyway. If somebody like relies on me or if you rely on like a therapist or something like that for everything, like that's that's not success in my eyes for sure. So, you know, it's, it's all about kind of trying to like turn the keys over to the, uh, the athlete. And so, yeah, you know, if you're finding your own solutions and stuff, you're, you're doing that. So I'm sorry. It's my daughter. She's, she she's screeching. She yeah. She's cheering you on. It's like, Mike is killing this one. He's doing so well. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to buy me diapers. Yeah. So, so here's a, so here's a question for, uh, Mike and Tom about something that Shane said. And I really like what you said. You said, I had done all the lifts in the gym before. Like you knew that you had the strength. So I guess it's a question about like training residuals when you are working through an injury so close to a meet. What do you guys think is like the necessary stimulus to maintain current position? Like where Shane was, um, at, you know, four, five, six weeks out from a meet. If you are working through something like this, that does require you to either lower the poundage, lower the frequency, lower the volume with which you're doing a movement. Because I have a I have a client right now who's four weeks out from powerlifting me, and she's working through something very similar. She's got a little tweak in her lower back, and I'm just trying to rationalize with her because I don't know if it's like a powerlifter thing. Weightlifters, Olympic weightlifters do this too, where they like catastrophize if they haven't had that recency of lifting the weight. They're like, holy shit, I have to squat 700 pounds on meat day and I, and I couldn't squat it three days out from the meat. Like I'm not strong enough anymore. Like those 72 hours, I'm going to get weak. So maybe speak to some of the training residuals centered around strength and what's necessary to maintain your current position if you are working through an injury. So Tom uh, raised his hand. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it'd come in handy. The, uh, <laughs> The, the way you have to look at it is that everything exists on this kind of continuation of uh, adaptation, right? And, and so you, you, your readiness and your state uh, relative to your sport is, is all about um, 
you know, this greater context of all of your training and the, the residuals specifically, you mentioned residuals for, for maximal strength are one of the longer, um, things that we've identified in terms of how long they stick around. Um, if you read, and I, and I don't know how many people that listen to this actually have the, the energy or are boring enough to, to read through um, something like a Surin's block periodization. Um, they actually talk about, um, you know, research from the from the 80s. Uh, in the Soviet Union where they, they looked at the uh, amount of time that adaptations persisted with athletes and uh, and things like uh, uh, power development, uh, force development, speed, um, things that are, are more towards the end of the spectrum of activities that you'd see in like conventional athletics, um, you know, running, jumping, throwing things. Um, uh, those those adaptations don't last very long, and, and you really have to stimulate them fairly frequently. Uh, but and they're the same with with the uh, the uh, enzymatic and metabolic adaptations related to uh, anaerobic activities. Uh, but but aerobic capacity and and maximal strength, just pure force output, are really really sticky residuals, and they, and they last a long time. They last like four to four to five weeks uh, from the previous uh, stimulus. So uh, you know, for for Shane's case, you know, if he got hurt four, five, six weeks out, probably what I'd have him do is I'd have him get to a point where he felt okay. You know, rest rest in the acute sense, like. You know, obviously, if you're having some spasm or something, move at whatever amount you're you feel good with. Like, like sounds like what Shane did, and then and then you know, I think Mike's going through something like this kind of right now with a little back tweak where we kind of took like three weeks where we're like, okay, we're just gonna hit some like singles, doubles, triples at like a RPE of seven, like like something where you're like, okay, I can feel this on my back, like I can I can feel the weight, but it, it moves well. You know, it's it's a, a confidence, and, and I like to use the word momentum a lot, um, especially the psychologically with athletes that are getting ready to perform. Um, you know, actually, the, the, the physiological part, you, you bake that cake during off-season and during training, and, and that's what it is. And then really uh, taking that and, and letting them realize it on the competition day is, is about momentum and about taking all of that stuff that you've accumulated and uh, getting getting somebody going in the in one direction and having them feel like okay I can do this. So you know with Mike like we did we did uh, three weeks I think of like lower reps at seven and the past week we've we've bumped it up to eights now and, and kind of a really simple linear progression with the RPE where uh, where he's maybe. The loads are progressing, but the emphasis is really on progressing the uh, the amount of mental effort that he's putting into a set. So, so we oh, oh, oh. what was that? We missed that last part. Uh, just, just, just progressing. You know, uh, getting him comfortable with with uh, effort. And then progressing the amount of effort sort of organically, less about the uh, sets, reps, uh, absolute loads, but but more about the relative, like, you know, how much is the, the athlete going to put their head down and push against this? So, Shane, were you comfortable in those kind of final – because, like, standard procedure in those final weeks leading up to the meet is like, hey, let's work up to some openers, some last warm-ups. Were those attempts that you were able to take, were you able to work up to, you know, 90, 93%? Or were you so limited by your back that you were, you know, down around 80, 85%, just getting a feel for the movement and then, you know, calling it a day there? Um, so I probably should have done something. I didn't do anything at all. Good shit. What, Good whatsoever. shit. That's what I like for to like, hear. Almost, I think it was about three and a half weeks. And so I did this session where I squatted like 606 for eight and I pulled 765 for five. And that's like when it happened, like after that. And that was my last session. That was it. It's been a light session. Pretty, pretty light. Not a lot of weight. Like, like right. <laughs> so, so crazy, crazy powerlifters will hear I did nothing and they're like, oh, okay. Like he only worked up to like, you know, 98%. Like what, what do you mean by nothing? Do you mean literally nothing? I think at like maybe two weeks post like hurting it, um, 
somebody was deadlifting like 253 and I pulled it conventional with like no warm up and that was it. That was the only deadlift I did before before the meet. How was it? Was it a good lift? Peaking peaking method. Three whites. 115 kilos. <laughs> that's the, um, the seat that don't warm up. <laughs> yeah, that's all I did. I mean, I was bench pressing at a very high frequency, and I felt like the way I bench now with, like, toes up and everything, there's a ton of leg drive. Like, there's some, like, lower back, like, loading going on even with that. Like, I'd feel it sometimes, but it wasn't painful. But I was pretty confident, like, with the, the way I was bench pressing and so heavy and so frequently – then my back would be fine anyway. I just didn't want to do a squat session, even if it wasn't heavy, and then like make it 10% worse than it was, and then like be thinking about it again. I was just like, I won't do anything, and maybe that wasn't the best decision, but it it did work. Yes, yeah, that's so interesting. Because um, I, I was gonna say two things. One, like I've never really considered. Like from like an overall like systemic standpoint, like, you know, we think of like, oh, okay, we're going to train our lower body and our legs and our back. Like, okay, so we got your squat, your deadlift, those things. And like, you know, we don't really consider like, you know, bench on that continuum. Like maybe somewhere really, really, really far to the left of that continuum, it does exist there. Because, I mean, dude, you were like, you were not benching like a little bit. You were benching a lot very often a lot of the time, right? So like, I mean, you're exposing, you know, the Shane Hunt, the body over here to, uh, to qu- quite a lot of strain and like a lot of load. It was just like, not through the, uh, the extremities down, down below. Right. So, um, so that's, that's really interesting to think about. I don't, I don't know the answer to that at all, but you know, maybe there is something to that. But then the other thing too, is, you know, kind of along the lines of like, uh, you know, that ideal peaking plan, maybe not happening. is like, things don't exist in a vacuum. Right. So like, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it would have been like quote unquote better if you had done more, but like, what if every time you like did that, like little bit, like, you know, you're already freaking strong as shit. So like, does it, does it really matter? Like, let's say you go in, you're like, okay, I'm going to squat four or five, two weeks out because, you know, I need to make sure that I'm still, uh, still strong for some reason. And it still feels terrible and your confidence is just like, you know what I mean? Like maybe that's yeah. worse than yeah. doing nothing. So, I mean, I don't know that that's why I think it's like good, you know, one that you know, you're smart. It sounds like you got like a smart coach working with you too, because you were, you guys were just kind of able to make the right decision to just trust it. There was not a lot of, uh, like second guessing and kind of half-assing either. You know what I mean? Like when you did nothing, you did nothing. There was no uh, <laughs> doing a little bit. So, so I think that's really interesting. And I like that a lot. Well, I think I uh, kind of like what you said, like I had been building so much momentum that I feel like if I had gone and like done like a four Oh five squat and it maybe it hurt or it, even felt heavy or something like that. It didn't feel good. That would be kind of like such a drastic like dip from where that momentum was going. But almost just stopping is like the momentum just stops right where it was. It doesn't go down. It just it just stops right there. And right there was like about as strong as I wanted to be at the meet anyway. So it was like just stopping there and just leveling off. It worked. And it's not like I didn't do anything. Um, I was telling Ryan and Tom, I did a bunch of like leg extensions, leg curls, which obviously isn't like strength training, but it just like pump blood through the area, you know, maintain muscle mass. I feel like that stuff still helps, even though it's not like directly squatting, it's all the same muscles and you're just, you're still working all the the tissues, even if it's not directly like loading it nearly as heavy. Um, I feel like there's still some, some merit to doing that stuff. You know, I feel like it helps. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to get rich or not, but like if you put together like a hunt performance method, like peaking template where you sold people on benching to preserve leg strength and then doing nothing <laughs> like you are really laying down the good framework for making a lot of money. So, you know, if you want to get rich, you can just cut me in. I'll take like 95 percent of it. We'll call it a deal there. <laughs> yeah. 400 kilo deadlift. Just don't train. Just. <laughs> I, uh, I really like I, I like how you, what you said about the bench press, though, because I feel like that's something we get so like, especially in powerlifting, so like dialed in on like specific movements and we lose track of that like like mike said that like shane the body right and and the nervous system isn't like the upper body nervous system and the lower body nervous system you know it's you know obviously it's operating at different extremities with different muscles but there's there's a degree of like transfer between you know a 500 pound heavy ass bench press and a 700 pound heavy ass back squat especially with a really advanced lifter like you know and i threw my little cousin out there and, and you know 
and she gets on the bench press, she's not using her whole body to bench press, right? But you, like, you're going to get on the bench press and, uh, and you're going to use every muscle that you can, you know, conceivably use to support that. So, um, you know, we, we talk about upper body and lower body movements, but that's really, it's not the case if you're trying to go, you know, to that absolute furthest limit of what you can do with a lift like that. You're using, you're using your quads and your, your hamstrings and your adductors and your glutes and your calves. Everything you're using is generating some either tension or force, um, you know, and, and, uh, and pushing that barbell. So, uh, you're innervating all of those muscles, maybe in a different way, in a different sequence, but, you know, uh, the sequence, the impulse may not be the same, but the, uh, the magnitude would be. So that, you know, kind of something you, you think about with the nervous system, right? Like there's, there's coordination and then there's the, the size of the, the signal. Hmm. It's still maximal exertion, even different right. avenue, but exactly. still it is. maximal yeah, exertion. High neural drive. Yeah. So my, my client who's, who's working through that back injury, she, she's kind of taking it easy on squats, deadlift, just keeping it pain free. She sends me a video, her, her meat. Her best competition uh, bench press is 70 kilos, 154. She sent me a 165 for four from yesterday's training session. And she's like, I don't know. I just like feel like I'm, I'm getting weak. Like, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's, reel, let's reel it back here. 11 pounds over best ever meat bench for four reps. And, and we're getting weak. So, Amy, I'm going to send you this as soon as we stop recording. Shane says you're going to be fine. And he's strong as shit, so you can trust that guy. But, Shane, let's talk about kind of what's what's the plan for the future. Are there, are there big goals that you have that you're working towards next? Like, is there a big total that you really want to hit next? Are you kind of in a period, in like a transition period? What, what's the plan? Oh, well, I kind of have to, I have to decide. I don't know if there's a big total. I mean, I, I get really caught up on numbers sometimes and I try not to, but now that I hit like that 2000 pound total, I don't exactly know where the next like benchmark is. I guess it's like a thousand kilos. What Jamal just totaled. I guess that's like the next like big total benchmark, but that's probably a little ways away. So I guess like individual, individual lifts. Um, I'm looking at competing in probably like six to seven months. I want to do the showdown, the USPA showdown. Um, I haven't gotten invited yet, but I've, I've been talking to the meet director and he said I should be on like the second round of invites. So I want to do that. Um, I think by then I could be pretty comfortably like around mid sevens on squat, definitely solidify a 500 pound bench. And then I want to stay in the 275 pound weight class. And I think right now, I believe the world record is 948 um, by Dan Grigsby. So I don't know if I could beat that by like November or October, but that'd be like my next like big deadlift goal. It would be like break 900 pounds and then go after that all time world record. Right at, two, at 275. You, yeah, I mean, if you want to get up to 275, you you really might have to make the switch over to Promised Land. Fair Life just isn't going to cut it, my <laughs> friend. You you have to make the transition. You need those extra calories. What about Ruska? He's walking around at like 215. <laughs> he's he's yeah he's a he's an anomaly. We don't uh, we don't lump him in with the rest of humanity. I believe he's he's built different. Is, is what we say. <laughs> What's lack, a kid to say? Lack of myostatin. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Something. <laughs> so Shane, I have some some personal questions from from my side of things. Some some very selfish questions. Um, have you ever done or tried to do a snatch or a clean and jerk? Yes. yes. What did you snatch and clean and jerk, sir? Um. I know one time I really fucked my back up. I didn't jerk it, but I cleaned 286 and I probably weighed like, I probably weighed like 205 pounds. I was really skinny. Mike, it was probably like right when you, like right right around the time you, you left probably right around like 2016. When did you move? Yeah. Yeah, I left it in like, uh, in like 2015. So I guess everything just like went to, went to shit. You were just like, I'm going to try Olympic weightlifting now, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't actually jerk it, but I, I cleaned 286. It was really terrible. And then a few months ago I was messing around with snatch. I know I, I know I snatched a hundred kilos, but I, I tried 110, like 
30 times probably. And I can get it over my head. I just can't, I can't stabilize it. The scapula or something. I'm not stacked. I don't know what it is, but you I have no power, you got power lifter chest. You're stuck here. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to like uh, reverse curl it and throw it over my head basically, but I'm doing it like barefoot, like no shoes at all. So it's pretty terrible. Do you, do you Olympic lifts? So, uh, so Tom has me, Tom does my programming for the CrossFit Open. So there is some Olympic weightlifting built in there. But yeah, I did a weightlifting meet in, in 2018. And, uh, what did I clean and jerk? One, 141 snatched 110. So, so I can comfortably say that I'm stronger than someone who doesn't even do the lifts. So I'm happy with that. Snatch more than me. (laughs) I'm I'm happy there. Um, no, but what I was going to tell you was there's a sport where you can waste even more of your time than powerlifting and get paid even less, and it's called Olympic weightlifting. If, if you ever wanted to, uh, wanted to give it a shot, <laughs> I have to find a, uh, a federation that would accept me. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I think John North had some talk about, you know, starting an untested weightlifting federation. That'd but, be uh, that would be amazing. I'm telling you, untested, unlimited attempts. The person's literally allowed to go until they give up on both lifts, like blast some music in the background, take all the best parts of powerlifting, put it into weightlifting, and you've got a sport that people would really, really latch on to. I always found that very interesting how, like, they the attempt selection – powerlifting versus weightlifting how they just they only go up so you might have to Dude, re- weightlifting is, yeah weightlifting, so i think weightlifting is a lot smarter in that sense because it speeds yeah. things along because the bar always goes up there's not the unloading loading go high, heavier lighter all of that um but yeah then i thought about like what if someone like dan bell like misses his first squat at like a thousand pounds and you're like all right dan you're on the clock two minutes for you to go and squat a thousand pounds again he's like well i'm gonna be out of breath for the next seven minutes so i'm I'm gonna just pass on my second attempt (laughs) yeah i guess like that distinction between powerlifting and weightlifting might be just like the the dynamic aspect of weightlifting maybe you can recover faster it's not the load isn't as absolutely heavy yeah yeah it still seems counter counter uh productive to lift like maximal weight to having like very limited rest times though like if you had to follow yourself constantly it seemed like you wouldn't be as strong as if you had five or ten or 15 minutes you know yeah you see these you see some people at like weightlifting attempts and they open on snatch too heavy and they miss their first snatch bad and then you're like all right well you're in the hole you're up again and they miss their second attempt bad and you like just want to cry for them cuz they're <laughs> in like such a bad situation this girl uh, at the first weightlifting meet i did she missed her snatch and got like decapitated by it like caught it on the back of her neck and they were like all right well you have two choices you can drop out of the meet or you can try that weight two more times and bless her heart she lined it up and went for it two more times it was it was very impressive she she didn't make it but and i I think she might be dead but it's you know rest we we miss you we miss you (laughs) um i have I have one more question before I uh, le- before I give it over to these guys to let them ask if they have any other questions. How the hell does your cup keep refilling? I've seen you drink from that thing like 13 times, and it just keeps – it's just still uh, – Came prepared. Okay. Just brought the whole coffee pot over here. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, then, then I'm out of questions. Mike, Tom, anything you want to wrap up with, circle back to for Shane here before we let him go, uh, go about his life? I got nothing, man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's been I fun. appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, I got nothing. Appreciate you, Shane. Shane, let the, let the people know where they can find you on, on the Instagrams, on the Facebooks, the Twitters, all of that fun stuff. Where they can see some of the the future content from you as you continue to get superhumanly strong. Uh, Instagram Hunt Powerlifting. Check me out on YouTube, Shane Hunt. It should be Shane Hunt. I think that's all I have. I don't, I don't do any Twitters, any tweets. Nope, that's that's false, fake news. You have a TikTok, don't you? I know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Check out my TikTok. You use a little like TikTok dance or something, Shane? I'm trying to penetrate the younger market. You know, get the 15 year old kids. Crazy. <laughs> And all of those links, if you, yeah, if you want to get penetrated by Mr. Shane Hunt himself, go ahead and the links are going to be down (laughs) below in the description. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram at gifted performance, uh, giftedperformance.com for all your training and nutrition needs. We will see you guys on the next one until then, please do your best to stay gifted. My lovelies. Bye-bye.
Ooh, Mike, flex on him. Hit him with the traps. Yeah. 